Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the next episode of the Guardian Mindset Podcast. Uh, today, I'm going to talk, uh, as I prepare for the First Amendment Summit, we are going through First Amendment law and, and getting all of our legal updates straightforward. And as I, as I go through this, I'm reminded that eh, maybe it's time to remind everybody else of what's going on. We always start with a quote, as you know. So this, this week's quote, we're going to start out with a Harry Truman quote. Once a government is committed to the principle of silencing the voice of opposition, it has only one way to go, and that is down the path of increasingly repressive measures until it becomes a source of terror to all its citizens and creates a country where everyone lives in fear. And the reason why I started with that quote was because today's conversation and topic is about First Amendment retaliation. And as you know from the other podcasts that you've listened to is that in the First Amendment world, one of the things that's concerning to us is that it's new to our world in law enforcement. Um, you know, over the last 30 years of legal jurisprudence, we've seen uh, a tremendous amount of application point directly to Fourth Amendment. And that's what we're really the best at, right? We know that inside now. But the First Amendment has been something, as I've said in other podcasts, that it becomes uh, is becoming more and more of a challenge and more and more concern in the area of operations. And that is because we're starting to see more legal legal analysis on it. And, and as a result of that, over the past couple of years, we've become more and more concerned, specifically in the world of false arrest claims and retaliation. So as you know, the First Amendment in its general concept is talking about the the application of Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right to assemble and petition the government for redress. One of the things you've known if you paid attention to some of my training programs before is that when it comes to the First Amendment, it's kind of the garbage pail of application, meaning the First Amendment was the last amendment to be written. And people get confused by that and say, well, Eric, it's the First Amendment. So you're right, but it almost was the difference between the Bill of Rights being signed and not being signed. And that is Thomas Jefferson insisted that there must be a list of untouchables. Uh, and the list of uh, untouchables was the First Amendment, which is the essential ingredient to developing the Bill of Rights. And so that's why it's the first one but it was actually written last. And we know that if you look at the application of the First Amendment, the true basis of the First Amendment is to focus on the application of, of protecting citizens from the government. And for the longest time, this had very limited to no application to law enforcement operations. Um, and then we started to see some transitions. We started to see the right of citizens to record. And we talked about that in our auditing application, right? The First Amendment auditors and the right of people to audit us in our daily operation. And, and the key part is that the law is pretty clearly established right now that individuals have the right to videotape government officials in their daily use. And then the second thing that we started looking at was more to, uh, to social media and the application of First Amendment to when employees would post on social media and the application of what they would post and how they would post would become challenged under a disciplinary means. That really what they said was bringing the department into disrepute. 
So we started to see some analysis on First Amendment application of protected speech, or more importantly, the question, was speech protected when it applied to government employees who um, are talking about government agencies? And that leads us to the third application, which was crowd control. And we've done a lot of discussions on on the ability uh, to maintain or to take action against protesters and when and where and how we can take actions against protesters. But really the topic that I want to talk about today is called retaliation. And it really wasn't a hot topic until 2008. There are two Supreme Court cases that came up, the first one being Lozman versus the city of Rivera Beach, which we're going to talk about briefly. But the greatest one I want to spend a little time on today is the 2019 Supreme Court case issued on May 28th, 2019, called Neves versus Bartlett. And again, if you want to look at any of this, uh, we have done articles on all of these cases, and you can find these articles on our Learning Center page in the article section. But here's the purpose. The, the complete application of this is that there is a question. And the question is, is can an arrest ever be retaliatory? Right? Now, that question in and of itself scares me just a little bit. Why? Well, that's because we never arrest anybody because they're running their mouth, right? We never arrest anybody because they're, they're pushing your buttons. And, and, and obviously, we arrest people when there is a legal cause to do so, probable cause. But the, what scares me is the fact that a lot of situations where people are arrested may be interpreted as First Amendment retaliation claims. So in 2018, the Lozman case, when the court was first brought, when this argument was first brought forward, it really brought us uh, into a situation where we were, we, were, we were really having to discuss the application. Because what's really going on here is that in both these cases, the Lozman and the Evas case, what happened is there was a civil lawsuit, and the civil lawsuit alleges a false arrest claim, but it also alleges a First Amendment retaliation claim. Now, up to this point, uh, you know, in, up to 2018, we would expect to see a Fourth Amendment allegation of, a, of, of false arrest. That, that was normal. If someone gets, you know, just, just a little refresher on false arrest law, um, false arrest law, the elements of false arrest is there's four elements to false arrest. The first one is that you initiated a proceeding against an individual. So we basically say you arrested them, right? Uh, the second area, which is the concerning area, the second element of false arrest is that the uh, prosecutorial case ends in the, to the benefit of, of the accused. So it usually means that the prosecutor threw the case out and, or uh, they got a not guilty plea in its application. And then finally it gets to the third element, which is, was there probable cause for the arrest? And the fourth element for uh, false arrest is that there was malice or malice intent in order to make this illegal arrest. So, you know, obviously these cases go on. We arrest somebody. Uh, number two, we don't have much control about how the case ends prosecutorial wise. As you know, they can throw the case out, uh, dismiss the case, and they usually don't tell us when they do that. So now that we're really learning about this this case because the next question is, was there probable cause? And so in a civil lawsuit directly related to 
a Fourth Amendment allegation of false arrest, the question is going to be, was there probable cause for the arrest? And then if we can get through the fact that there was no probable cause, then there's a proof the plaintiff has to prove uh, malice. So let's take a look at these two cases. I'm going to briefly talk about the 2008 case, the Supreme Court case, Lozman versus Rivera Beach. But the, the, as you know, every time a case goes to the Supreme Court, it goes to the Supreme Court uh, with, a, with a question. And the question in this case was, does the mere existence of probable cause for an arrest, does it bar a plaintiff's First Amendment retaliation claim? Now, the lower court in this case, the appellate panel, really focused on the actions or the public criticism that Mr. Lozman expressed at city council meetings where he had been arrested and was protected speech. So let me give you a little bit about the history of Mr. Lozman in its application. So on June 18th, 2018, the United States Supreme Court issued its decision in Lozman versus the city of Rivera Beach. And as we talked about, the decision was that the existence of probable cause for arrest does not bar a First Amendment retaliation claim. In 2006, uh, the petitioner in this case, Fan Lozman, towed his floating home into a slip in the city-owned marina where he became a resident. And as you can see, it's the city of Rivera Beach. Soon after his arrival, Lozman became an outspoken critic of the city's plan to use its eminent domain power to seize homes along the waterfront for private development. Lozman often spoke during the public comment period at city council meetings, and as you would expect, he criticized public employees, including the mayor. He also filed a lawsuit uh, alleging that the council's approval of an agreement with developers violated the Florida's open meeting laws. In June of 2006, the council had held a closed-door session as part of its discussion to discuss the open meeting lawsuit that Lozman recently had filed. According to the transcript of the meeting, one councilman suggested that, this, that the city use its, quote, resources to intimidate Lozman and others who had filed lawsuits against the city. Obviously, you can assume that that's bad. Later in the meeting, a different council member asked whether or not there was a consensus of what Ms. Wade is saying, and others responded in the affirmative. Lozman alleged that these remarks formed an official plan to intimidate him. The city, on the other hand, maintains that the only consensus reached during the meeting was to invest money and resources necessary to prevail in the litigation against it. The dispute that led to this litigation took place in 2006. In November of that year, five months after the closed-door meeting where the intimidate comment was made, the, council, the city council held a public meeting. The agenda included a public comment session in which citizens could address the council for a few minutes. As he had done on earlier occasions and would do more than 200 times over the coming years, Lozman stepped up to the podium to give his remarks. He began to discuss the recent arrest of a former county official. A councilman interrupted Lozman and directed him to stop making those remarks. Lozman continued speaking, this time about the arrest of a former official from the city of West Palm Beach. The councilman then called for the assistance of a police officer in attendance. The officer approached Lozman and asked him to leave the podium. Lozman refused. The officer was instructed to carry him out, so he handcuffed Lozman and ushered him out of the meeting. Lozman was charged with disorderly conduct and resisting arrest. The charges were dismissed because although there was probable cause to effect the arrest, there was no reasonably likelihood 
of a successful prosecution. Mr. Lozman sued the city under 42 U.S.C. Section 1983, alleging that the city arrested him in retaliation for his opposition to the city's redevelopment plan in violation of the Fourth Amendment. The complaint described a number of alleged incidents and under Lozman's theory showed that the city's purpose was to harass him in different ways. Dillies arranged for a city employee telling Lozman that his dog needed a muzzle to the city's initiation of an admiralty lawsuit against Lozman's floating home. The evidence and arguments presented by both parties with respect to all matters alleged in Lozman's suit consumed 19 days of trial before a jury. A jury returned a verdict for the city on all claims. Lozman appealed to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, and the court affirmed the district court's judgment. The Court of Appeals held that the jury found that there was probable cause to arrest Lozman, and such finding defeated his First Amendment retaliation arrest claim as a matter of law. Lozman appealed to the Supreme Court. He claimed that notwithstanding the presence of probable cause, his arrest at the city council meeting violated the Fourth Amendment because the arrest was ordered in retaliation for his earlier protected speech. So, as he said, the issue before the Supreme Court is whether or not the existence of probable cause bears a First Amendment retaliation claim. The court vacated the Court of Appeals decision and decided that it does not on the following grounds. First, the court stated that it's not a typical retaliatory arrest because Lozman did not contest the arrest itself or the officer's actions of arresting him. Lozman alleged that the city itself nor the officer was the one who retaliated against him pursuant to an official municipal policy. The fact that Lozman must prove the existence and enforcement of an official policy motivated by retaliation separates Lozman's claims from a typical retaliatory arrest claim. The key that brought forth in this case was that when a retaliation against protected speech is elevated to the level of official policy, there's a compelling need for adequate avenues of redress. In a case like this one, it is unlikely that the connection between the alleged animus and injury will be weakened by an official's legitimate consideration of speech. The key that we looked at in this case is that the court focused on a few very specific issues as it addressed the issues of Mr. Lozman. The majority opinion in this case was issued by Justice Kennedy, and he held that the existence of probable cause to arrest Lozman, which had been the reason the lower court dismissed his suit, did not immune the city from a retaliation claim. The Supreme Court stresses that the decision was narrow, based on the circumstances of Lozman's specific case. Well, I, well there's an interesting dissent in the case where Justice Clarence Thomas dissented that the court's judgment writing that the plaintiff must plead and prove a lack of probable cause as an element for the First Amendment retaliatory arrest claim. So, how does this end up? Well, in 2018, in the Lozman case, the court says, well, you know, there's no proof that there was actual retaliation by the officer in the aspect of arresting Mr. Lozman. But they sent the case back and said, it does clearly appear that there might be some retaliation by the city of Rivera Beach and left it as that. So that did everything but definitely not close the door on the issue having to do with retaliatory speech. And yes, I would be, I would be remiss if I didn't say that in 2018 it concerned me just a little bit. 
so much so that I was even more concerned in 2019. And when we started our use of our First Amendment summit um, because of these issues, when the court issued a decision in 2019 dealing with the Neves versus Bartlett. So let's focus on this case. The decision in Neves versus Bartlett comes to us from the Supreme Court, and it is crucial in understanding how the court system weighs probable cause and reasonableness of an officer's actions versus a retaliatory arrest claim. A retaliatory arrest refers to arrest by law enforcement officials against persons in retaliation for those persons' First Amendment free expression rights. So basically what that's saying is, you know, listen, um, just because uh, just because this guy's running his mouth or making you upset, and basically when we talk about First Amendment, we talk about the need for officers to be content neutral. And this is everything but content neutral, right? This is, well, what you said made me mad, and as a result of that, I need to arrest you because of it. So let's look at the facts of this case. So in this case, Russell Bartlett sued two police officers, Alaska State Troopers, alleging that they retaliated against him for his protected First Amendment speech after arresting him for disorderly conduct and resisting arrest at an extreme sporting event in Alaska. So as you know, up in Alaska, they have the X Games, the Iditarod. And, and up there, well, there's some interesting folks that go to those events. And so uh, the, the Alaska State Troopers who are patrolling that event, you know, my understanding is they kind of patrol around the event, right? They want to keep all of the issues inside, and they really aren't going to get into any any heavy-duty issues uh, unless they need to with the people that are participating in these events. Well, on the last night of the event, Sergeant Yeves, who is a Alaskan state trooper, asked Bartlett to move a keg of beer into the RV because some minors were participating in underage drinking. So one of the rules of this event was that if they have alcohol, the alcohol in the parking lot has to stay inside the uh, inside their RVs so that minors can't get a hold of it. According to Sergeant Neves, Bartlett, who was intoxicated at the time, began yelling that he did not have to speak with the police. Well, you know, this is a smart move by Sergeant Neves, but he decides, you know what, I'm just going to walk away at this point because he doesn't want the situation to escalate. Later on that same same evening, another officer began speaking with a minor who was drinking alcohol. Um, at that point, while the, off, while the troopers are speaking with the minor, Bartlett approaches in an aggressive manner. And at some point, he actually stands between the trooper and the teenager. The officer pushed Bartlett back to provide space. Sergeant Neves witnessed the incident and ordered Bartlett to step away. Bartlett did not comply, and the police ultimately arrest him. Bartlett claims that he was not aggressive. He was slow to comply with Neves' orders, not because he was resisting arrest, because he did not want to aggravate a back injury. Well, after Bartlett was handcuffed, he claims that Nieves said, and on body-worn cameras, bet you wish you would have talked to me now. Police charged Bartlett with disorderly conduct and resisting arrest. So, as you can see, the statement made on body-worn cameras probably not going to be good for the defense of Sergeant Nieves. Well, as we can expect in these cases, the criminal charges against Bartlett were dismissed. And he filed a lawsuit under 42 U.S.C. Section 1983, arguing that the police violated his First Amendment rights by arresting him in retaliation for his speech. That speech being that he was telling the young kids that 
You don't have to talk to those cops. You have rights. Don't talk to those cops. The officers responded that they can, they had arrested Bartlett because he interfered in the investigation and initiated a physical confrontation with one of them. The court determined that the officers did have probable cause to arrest Bartlett and held that the existence of probable cause precluded Bartlett's First Amendment retaliatory arrest claims. No, it's not going to be surprising to you, but the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals disagreed and held that Bartlett had presented enough evidence that his speech was but for the cause of the arrest. The only causal evidence relied on by the court was Bartlett's affidavit alleging that Sergeant Neves said, quote, bet you wish you would have talked to me now, end quote. If the allegations were true, the court reasoned, a jury might conclude that the officers arrested Bartlett in retaliation for his statements earlier that night. Well, let's take a look at the Supreme Court's opinion in this case. The Supreme Court held that police had probable cause to arrest Bartlett. They said, quote, as a general matter, the First Amendment prohibits government officials from subjecting an individual to retaliatory actions for engaging in protected speech. If an official takes adverse action against someone based on a forbidden motive and non-retaliatory grounds are in fact insufficient to provide the adverse consequences, the injured person may generally seek relief by bringing a First Amendment claim. The plaintiff must establish a causal connection between the government defendant's retaliatory animus and the plaintiff's subsequent injury to prevail on such claim. It is not, as the court said, it is not enough to show that an official acted with a retaliatory motive and that the plaintiff was injured, the motive must cause the injury. Specifically, it must be a but-for cause, meaning that the adverse action against the plaintiff would not have taken would not have been taken absent a retaliatory motive. The causal inquiry is a complex one because protected speech is often a wholly legitimate consideration for officers when deciding whether to make an arrest. As you know, officers frequently must make split-second judgments when deciding whether to make an arrest, and the content and the manner of the suspect's speech may convey vital information. For example, if he is ready to cooperate, or rather, presents a continued threat. Indeed, the kind of assessment happened in this case. The officers testified that they perceived Bartlett to be a true threat on a combination of the content and tone of his speech, his combative posture, and his apparent intoxication. The Supreme Court recognized that, quote, Police officers conduct approximately 29,000 arrests every day, a dangerous task which requires making quick decisions in circumstances that are tense, uncertain, and rapidly evolving. To ensure that officers may go about their work without undue apprehension of being sued, we generally review their conduct under objective standards of reasonableness. Thus, when reviewing an arrest, we ask, whether the circumstances viewed objectively justify the challenged actions, and if so, conclude that the action was reasonable, whatever the subject intent motivating the relevant officials. A particular officer's state of mind is simply irrelevant, and it provides no basis for invalidating an arrest. The Supreme Court quoted the decision of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, finding that, when Sergeant Neves initiated Bartlett's arrest, he knew that Bartlett had been drinking. 
He observed Bartlett speaking in a loud voice and standing close to one of the officers. He also saw the officer push Bartlett back. The test is whether the information the officer had at the time of making the arrest rise or did rise to probable cause. The court found that a reasonable officer in Sergeant Neva's position could have concluded that Bartlett stood close to the officer and spoke loudly in order to challenge him, provoking the officer to push him back. As a result, there was probable cause to arrest Bartlett. His retaliatory arrest claims must fail. There's a couple important notes that I want you to take away from this case. So first, the Supreme Court sides with law enforcement when they fully see that there is probable cause for an arrest over a First Amendment. In other words, if the circumstances viewed objectively justify the challenged action, then law enforcement should be protected. So, probable cause generally defeats retaliatory arrests, while the First Amendment protects citizens in many ways, probable cause and public safety do outweigh someone's First Amendment rights. Now, the key that I want you to clarify here is how the court left this, and this is really the most significant part of this operation. The court did say in passing that they're going to pay attention to the facts and circumstances specifically related to the retaliation allegation. And what they said, and you can take it for however you would see it, what they said was, if, for example, let's say that you arrest an individual for jaywalking because they are jaywalking, but at the same time, they are, um, they are running their mouth, right? And as a result of running their mouth, you know, they, they, they are arrested and there's no specific correlation between the arrest and running their mouth. But, but they make an allegation that the arrest was retaliatory. What the Supreme Court said was this. They said, listen, we're going to look at your arrest for trespass. And one of the things we're going to look at is whether or not you have ever done such a thing before. Have you, whether or not you have ever arrested somebody for trespass in other situations. And, and the key area is that they're going to take a look at whether or not you treated this individual different than you have treated other individuals that you may have interacted with in the past. So my recommendation for you is this. You know, obviously I want you to be aware, especially of individuals who are, um, who are maybe trying to bait you into arguments or maybe very vocal as to their feelings of you and their thoughts of you. And when you do arrest them for another charge, beware that they are going to make an allegation of a, reta of a retaliation claim. So we need to be prepared to address that retaliation claim based on, number one, that you have facts and circumstances that would lead a reasonable officer to believe that this person has committed a crime and therefore that there is probable cause. But also be aware, as the court said in passing on this case, if this is the first time that you've arrested somebody for retaliation, then we're going to look very closely at that case. And we may, if this is the first time that you've done that, we may consider that this is different than the way you've handled it before. And therefore, that evidence is supportive of the application that there may be retaliation in, in its application. and so. The, what the court said in this case was that it's difficult to determine if protected speech is the cause of an arrest.
because the speech is often a wholly legitimate consideration for officers when deciding whether to make an arrest. The court's caveat is that no probable cause requirement should not apply when the plaintiff represents objective evidence that he was arrested or treated differently from others in the same situation. So that's the key that we want to end on. We want to make sure that we fully understand that the issues as they present themselves is to make sure that we do not treat anybody differently during the course of making an arrest. And we definitely don't want them to be treated differently to the fact that you arrest them solely based on their content. Remember, as I wrap this up, when it comes to First Amendment and it comes to an analysis of First Amendment claims, we want to make sure content neutral, time, place, and manner restriction. That means that we can't react to what the person is saying or what the person is doing. We can only react to whether or not their actions might violate clearly established law, statutes, or precedent, town ordinances, specifically related to time, content, and manner. All right? So with that, that wraps up our thoughts for today. Till next time, help those who need your help, protect those who need your protection, and most importantly, keep yourself and others safe. Thank you.